This is a production of WEDU-PBS, Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota. Florida This Week is made possible in part by support from the Tampa Bay Times. Coming up next, the legislature passes a new gambling agreement with the Seminole Tribe, but does it violate the state constitution? A Sarasota company is leading that presidential recount in Arizona, and a Florida teacher is removed from her classroom position for putting up a Black Lives Matter flag. Political Insights next on Florida This Week. Welcome back. The state legislature passed a new gambling agreement with the Seminole Tribe of Florida after a three-day special session this week. Governor DeSantis and the Seminole Tribe of Florida negotiated the compact and the legislature overwhelmingly approved it. The state will receive at least $2.5 billion over the next five years and an estimated $20 billion over the course of the 30-year deal. The tribe would operate sports betting and would receive other benefits, including being able to offer craps and roulette at its casinos. There were a few Democrats and Republicans who opposed the bill, arguing that the compact violates a state constitutional amendment that prevents the expansion of gambling without voter approval and questioned whether it will survive a legal challenge. They also said the state could have made a better deal. And this week in Washington, Florida's congressional delegation voted mostly along party lines on whether to create a commission to investigate the January 6th insurrection. Only two Republicans, both from South Florida, Carlos Jimenez and Maria Elvira Salazar, broke ranks with the rest of Florida's Republican delegation and voted to support the bipartisan commission. The bill, if passed by the Senate, would create an independent 10-member commission that would create a proposal for securing the Capitol and would conduct the official investigation into the deadly riot. Meantime, the Sarasota company that is conducting that controversial audit of presidential votes in Arizona's largest county says it needs more time. The company, Cyber Ninjas, had promised to finish the audit by last week. Now it says it will take another six weeks. Cyber Ninjas is being paid $150,000 by Arizona's legislature. It's looking into claims that a massive number of illegal votes were cast in Maricopa County. Two past audits, as well as a partial hand recount, have reconfirmed the results of Maricopa County, showing that Joe Biden won by more than two points. The lone member of the Florida State Senate to vote no on the gambling compact was St. Petersburg State Senator Jeff Brandis. Senator Brandis joins us now. Jeff, welcome back to Florida this week. Great to be with you. Why did you oppose the gambling compact? Sure. So I'm a Republican who believes in free and open markets, and this bill, this, this compact doesn't represent that at all. Uh, in fact, it, it basically creates a 30-year monopoly for the Seminole Tribe in Florida on, ga- on most gaming. Uh, and that's something that I just don't support. I, I think we could have broken this compact up, done with something on the physical facilities, the, the roulette and the, and the craps tables. Um, but we didn't have to go so far as a 30-year uh, monopoly for sports betting. Uh, that was something that wasn't included in Amendment 3 uh, that was passed in 2018 on gaming. I think it's an area where uh, we could have been much more open uh, and, and free market. Do you think that the uh, 
the compact uh, or the, what the legislature did potentially violates the state constitution? Well, I think that's ultimately up for the courts to decide. I think there's going to be a lot of arguments on both sides. But again, this compact still has to get federal approval. Uh, and that's not an easy thing either. Most compacts are in the 20-year range. This is a 30-year monopoly uh, as part of this compact. Uh, and so the money aside, which I think whether we had granted the monopoly or whether we had had a more free market system, which is what I would advocate for, uh, we would have received roughly the same amount or more money. Uh, and, and frankly, that's that's what I'm arguing for is that we didn't have to create a monopoly to do this. Does it what what effect does it have on existing businesses on existing paramutuals? Uh, uh, I mean, does it hurt the existing businesses that are out there? Well, many of the paramutuals now are able to decouple, uh, and there's some other there's some other opportunities that come along with the paramutuals. Uh, there was some additional discussion about allowing the paramutuals to do bingo, but that ultimately failed. Uh, look, the paramutuals are are in a, a very strange place right now because while they got access to sports betting through the tribe, if you bet with a paramutual, you're really betting through the tribe. And so I think that's that it creates a, a real problem for them in some ways. Uh, l- let me ask you another question. The, the, the legislature just wrapped up its regular session, too, uh, in addition to the special session it just had uh, last week. Um, in, in terms of dealing with Florida issues, how well do you think this last session of the legislature did? Well, look, I think we dealt with a lot of issues, for, uh, and some of them had really nothing to do with Florida. For example, we passed an anti-riot bill, which really was a bill in Florida to solve the problems of Portland. Uh, we, we passed a, a voting bill that was really, a, a, you know, even after the governor has said we had the, a great election, really flawless uh, based on if you talk to the supervisor of elections. Uh, and, and there was a reason that the supervisors of elections didn't support this legislation, because it adds additional burdens that, frankly, they think will hinder the ability and, and some people's access to voting. And so that's something that I, I didn't support either. Uh, I think that Florida has a history of, of uh, has gone from, you know, worst in the country on elections to really best in the country on elections. Uh, we should continue to help foster that. But, uh, but some of the things that, that were in this bill, I thought, went too far. Uh, so, you know, I think really we've, we've got to focus on some of the key problems of Florida. One, property insurance is a major issue. Anybody who's opened up their bill lately has seen their rates go from 20 to, to 70, maybe 100 percent more than they were just a couple of years ago. That's the Achilles heel of the state of Florida. It will shut down growth if, if property insurance continues to rise. Uh, and then another area that I focus in on is the prison system. About 60 percent of our prison facilities are in emergency staffing right now which means we don't have enough staff to adequately both provide for the the safety of the people that are inside uh, and the security of the people that are on the outside to ensure that that we don't have other uh, problems in our prison facilities. Those are the two areas that I think Florida is the weakest on right now, and we didn't focus enough on those two areas. And why do you think the legislature didn't? I mean, if, if, if you're saying that they addressed issues that were pertinent to Portland or pertinent to Arizona, the election law, why do you think the legislature was so focused on those issues and not the Florida issues? Well, I think those are the issues that that play well in the media. And those are the issues that people were talking about. Nobody really talks about the prison system in Florida. And frankly, uh, you know, the, the, the conversation about insurance has been one that's been brewing for a long, long time, but has yet to be adequately addressed. Even the solution the legislature come up with this year was probably only a 30 or 40 percent solution to the problem that needed to be solved. Uh, in order to stop the, the radical rise in property insurance rates. So I think, you know, 
the legislature tends to to shift towards things that the public wants to talk about um, at sometimes the expense of the other issues that are the things it needs to talk about. Well, Senator Brandis, thanks a lot. Thanks for coming back on the program. My pleasure. Great to be with you. Well, another opponent of the new gambling compact with the Seminole Tribe is State Representative Ana Escamani. She represents a district which includes parts of Orlando, and she joins us now. And Representative Escamani, thanks for coming back. Thanks so much for having me. So we just had State Senator Jeff Brandis on. He said he opposed the compact uh, because he's a free market uh, person and he doesn't believe in monopolies and, and he didn't think that Florida got uh, a good deal. What, why did you oppose the gambling compact? Well, I would agree with some, some of Senator Brandis's concerns. I mean, the fact that the Seminole Tribe would be the only owner of sports betting in Florida should be of concern to everyone. Uh, compared to really giving uh, a free market approach to that option of gambling. However, my opposition was also grounded in the fact that voters here in the great state of Florida approved via Amendment 3 back in 2018 a referendum that requires any expansion of gambling to be approved by the voters. And when I asked multiple times to the bill sponsors, why are we not just bringing this to the voters for them to decide? Uh, the answer was a, a pretty mixed bag with some lawmakers even admitting they don't think parts of this compact would survive in court. So I cannot vote against our state constitution. I can't, I can't vote against the will of the people of this state who want to say in the direction of gambling. And, and I also had a lot of concerns around how this new money would be spent. I filed an amendment to the compact where new revenue from gambling would go towards mental health and substance abuse prevention. Um, that amendment was called out of order and other colleagues filed similar amendments trying to allocate these dollars towards uh, direct services for the people of Florida that could be impacted by gambling. And the fact that we don't know how this money will be spent is another area of, of, of deep concern for me. Amendment 3 says that as long as if the gambling takes place on tribal lands, then uh, Amendment 3 doesn't apply. So I'm wondering, I mean, if, if you have sports betting on a mobile phone, where do you think that gambling is taking place? Is it taking place at the mobile phone site or on tribal lands where the servers are? That's that's the question at hand, right? Those who support the compact try to make this illustration that if the servers are housed on tribal land, that is not an expansion of gambling. And yet you would be able to gamble from the comfort of your home with the direction of this compact. And I, I, I do think that that's a questionable expansion of gambling that the voters should really play a role in. Orlando, where you are, is known as kind of the family-friendly uh, vacation capital of the U.S. And there are uh, conservatives and others that think that this compact will hurt that the family-friendly standing that Florida has. What do you think? Where are you on that issue? I think it's a valid point, and I, I brought up a lot of questions during debate and committee around, you know, what are the, the the health concerns when it comes to expansion of gambling, especially compulsive gambling and addiction, and um, you know, there are dollars put towards some of these organizations that focus on providing support to Floridians, individuals who face addiction, um, but. I do think that more dollars you know, go towards, especially mental health in a state like Florida, where we're so underfunded in that area. The other concern that, that comes from an area like Orlando, candidly, it's not always around family values, but it is competition. And I do think that when it comes to competition around the convention industry, you know, some of the biggest companies in the state, like Walt Disney World, they, they don't want expansion because they see it as a threat to some of their other type of business ventures. Um, so I, I think it's an important dialogue to have around public health and 
and and I, I did not see a lot of uh, points made on that area from my colleagues, but my opposition was very much grounded in the fact that voters need to decide when it comes to the expansion of gambling. Let me ask you, the last minute that we have left, the uh, state legislature, in addition to the special session, had its regular session, which ended uh, a few weeks ago. I'm wondering, you, you said in a meeting uh, last week that you thought that the regular session was all about culture wars. What did you mean by that? It was the creation of fake enemies, pretend problems that took over the legislative session, whether it was attacking our right to vote because the Republican majority said that there was fraud in our election, um, attacking the freedom of speech by demonizing Black Lives Matter protesters, and attacking trans kids by saying that trans girls are dangerous to women's sports. It was a constant theme of fake enemies. Meanwhile, actual problems like the affordable housing crisis did not get the attention they deserved. Well, Representative Escamani, thanks for coming back on the program, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you so much. Duval County High School teacher Amy Donofrio was removed from her classroom in March after displaying a Black Lives Matter flag above her classroom door. The removal prompted her to file a lawsuit against the district over free speech. Her case was mentioned in a speech this week by Florida's Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran. I'm getting sued right now in Duval County, which is Jacksonville, because it was an entire classroom um, memorialized to Black Lives Matter. We made sure she was uh, terminated, and now we're being sued by every one of the liberal left groups um, for freedom of speech issues. Um, and, and, and I say to them, you know, to the point, your question, try to find common ground. I'll say to them, look, let's not even talk about whether it's right or true or good, um, what you have there. My issue is when you, you're a third grade teacher and only you know, 42%, 41% of your kids are on grade level. Why don't you do me a favor? Get them on grade level, and then we'll have that discussion. The teacher in question, Amy Donofrio, is here along with her attorney, Evian White de Leon. Amy, welcome to Florida this week. Thank you for having me. Amy, what did you think of the way Commissioner of Education Richard Corcoran characterized your case? I was devastated <laughs> and shocked. Um, I simply stood in solidarity with my students and affirmed the value of their humanity and of their lives and to be deemed unacceptable for simply affirming your students. It's shocking. Let's talk about your students for a moment. You, you don't teach third graders, you teach 12th graders. Tell us about the, the, the ethnic composition of the people in your classroom. Yeah, that, that's correct. That was another um, pretty shocking aspect of the comment. Um, I teach 12th grade at Robert E. Lee High School, home of the Generals um, in Jacksonville. And, um, you know, not only do I teach 12th grade, but my students are not only meeting standards, they're exceptional. Um, I think you can see that in my growth scores and my evaluations. I've been labeled as highly effective by the Florida Department of Education um, currently and for most of the last few years. Um, Beyond that, I mean, my students, we've met President Obama, we've gone to the White House, we've presented at Harvard University, Graduate School of Education four times. Um, they've excelled. And what they've excelled based off of is a lot of things, but primarily elevating youth voices. They've used their voice, right, to speak about issues that matter to them um, and make a change. And this is for youth, and particularly black youth at our school, which is 70% black. And for youth to be empowered um, and to achieve these beautiful things that is being nationally recognized, but is 
condemned by our own school, by our own state, in fact, it's devastating. Even this raises questions about academic freedom. Uh, is, is Amy's case the only such case in the U.S., or are there more cases like this where politicians are trying to say what can and cannot be taught in the classroom? Unfortunately, we are seeing a wave of backlash against not only Black Lives Matter, but any teachings that incorporate uh, race into a classroom. And this is being seen across Florida. It's being seen in other legislatures across the country. And it's also being seen in other districts, uh, school district administrations across Florida. Uh, to give you an example, uh, we, we met one teacher in Florida who was disciplined for showing the recent inauguration in her classroom. Uh, she was never disciplined for former inaugurations, showing them to her students, but this year she was. And um, unfortunately, there is this, like I said, wave of backlash um, to Black Lives Matter, which is a statement of fact and not political. Um, it, it's really, really uh, disheartening and terrifying that at the bottom line is safe spaces are not being created for our students in classrooms. And Amy, we hear a lot about cancel culture. I mean, uh, do you feel like you're the victim of, of uh, conservative cance cancel culture by hanging the flag? And, and what do your 12th grade students, what have they said to you about your removal from the classroom? I mean, unfortunately, I feel like my students are the biggest victim in the midst of all of this. And unfortunately, um, I've not really been able to speak with my students because I've missed the last two months of their senior year. Their last day was actually um, yesterday. And I think we all lose, not just me, not just my students, not just the education system, but as a state, I think we all lose when we refuse to honor, value, and talk about what does it mean, right, to value each other? What does it mean to matter? And I really think we should reconsider that. Well, thanks to both of you for coming on the program, and we promise to follow the case. Thank you so much. A Sarasota firm, Cyber Ninjas, was selected by Arizona's Republican-led Senate to lead an audit of the 2020 election. President Joe Biden beat Donald Trump in Arizona by 10,457 votes, a result confirmed by multiple reviews. Zach Anderson is the political editor at the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Zach, welcome back. Nice to have you here. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Zach, when the Cyber Ninjas name first came out, you looked into it, uh, being a Sarasota company. What did you find out? How big of a profile? What kind of credibility do they have? What do you know about the company? Yeah, well, to start with, I had never heard of the company. Uh, I, I don't think they have a, a very big profile uh, here uh, in Florida or even in uh, this area. Um, you know, from what I can tell, they only have a handful of employees. They haven't been in the Sarasota area for a very long time. They, they moved here um, from Indiana in 2014. Uh, they received some help moving here. They worked with the Economic Development Corporation of, of Sarasota County to help relocate here in a press release. Um, you know, the owner, Doug Logan, said that, uh, you know, he was interested in moving to the to the area because, you know, of, uh, you know, a, a beautiful area that's close to, you know, major transportation hubs like uh, the Tampa airport. And uh, um, but it, it doesn't seem like they've been extremely heavily involved in the business community. From what I can tell, uh, they uh, they according to some press releases on their website, they um, were 
uh, participated in some technology forums and, and things like that, where they, you know, uh, you know, did some educational and networking stuff with local businesses. But it uh, doesn't seem like they were, you know, that that well known even in this area. I guess the big question is, do they have the credibility and, and the, the, the depth to handle a, a really significant a voting audit? But let, let me ask you this. What, what did Republicans tell you, local leaders in the Republican Party tell you? And, and did Mr. Logan, the head of this company, did he indicate where in the political spectrum uh, he, he was uh, bef when you wrote your article? Yeah, well, I, I spoke to Joe Gruters, who's the head of the Republican Party of Florida and uh, the longtime chairman of the local Republican Party. Also, a state senator, he had no idea who this guy was, says that he uh, wasn't, isn't familiar with him, doesn't remember coming across him. So, you know, that's one of the biggest Republicans in the state and he's not familiar with him. Uh, and, and other uh, Republican uh, leaders, uh, activists, uh, consultants in, uh, in the state have said that they didn't, uh, they didn't know who this firm was. It doesn't appear that they have uh, very much, if any, experience in uh, election auditing. Uh, you know, it looks like, um, you know, their expertise is in, um, you know, sort of uh, making sure that uh, apps and online applications, um, you know, are, are you can defend them against hackers. Um, so, uh, but no, it doesn't appear that they're heavily uh, plugged into the political scene or the elections, uh, you know, uh, auditing scene. Um, they do have uh, one connection, at least, to Republicans in the area. Um, the the uh, spokesperson for the company during this whole uh, uh, audit uh, in Arizona and also before that is a guy named Rod Thompson, who's a Republican consultant uh, in this area. When I spoke to Rod, though, he said that uh, you know, he didn't, uh, that Mr. Logan had not been uh, involved in the political scene and Rod would know. Rod was head of the uh, Sarasota Republican Club uh, locally. He's, he's very well uh, networked in local uh, Republican uh, groups and is involved in the local Republican Party. So, um, you know, even though Rod is connected to this, uh, he says that uh, Mr. Logan is not connected to re Republican politics locally. There have been some newspaper reports that suggested that Logan, the head of Cyber Ninjas, the owner of the company, uh, believes in conspiracy theories or believes the election was stolen. That's the way he entered this process in Arizona. Have you been able to confirm that? So it, just based on um, some of the reporting from our, our sister organizations uh, in Arizona, uh, that uh, it, it does appear that, um, you know, that, that he, uh, that a Twitter account that is believed to be associated with him had shared, um, you know, posts that uh, basically cast doubt on the legitimacy of the election and, and raised questions about election fraud and tampering with machines and things like that, even shared a post um, from Sidney Powell, who was, uh, you know, an attorney who's been very prominent in this, quote unquote, stop the steal movement and raising uh, questions, these unfounded accusations of election fraud. So uh, it appears that some of this online activity, and I, I believe he also was mentioned uh, in a court document uh, in Michigan related to uh, an election lawsuit there. So uh, it does appeal, appear like he's been involved in some of these things. Zach, thanks for coming on the program. It's a story that we're all paying attention to, and thanks for giving us more, shedding more light on it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for watching. You can view this and past shows online at wedu.org or on the PBS app. And Florida This Week is now available as a podcast. You can find it on our website or wherever you download your podcast. Stay safe. Take care of each other. We'll see you next week.
Florida This Week is a production of WEDU, who is solely responsible for its content.